0: Welcome to the Messiah Podcast. We are so glad you tuned in today. Whether you are driving, doing chores, or taking a walk, we hope the Lord quiets your head and your heart to hear truth and be challenged through His Word. Without further ado, let's dive into the message. You are invited to turn to chapter 16 of Leviticus, um, everyone's favorite biblical book. And... Uh, yeah, it's the one we always go to. It's, not, it's your go-to. I have so many memory verses, all from Leviticus, chapter 16. Uh, so that's where we're going to go uh, and spend our time. So if you have been keeping up with the Bible readings over the course of the uh, last couple of months, literally a couple of months now, uh, give yourself a medal because you've made it. You have made it through most of uh, half of the Torah, okay? So the first five books of Moses, you've made it through Genesis, great stories in Genesis, Exodus, very famous story, Charlton Heston did something with that, and then we had uh, some weird stuff about a tabernacle, and we didn't quite understand that, but now we're almost completely through Leviticus, and we really don't know what's going on, right? (laughs) Uh, that, especially if this is the first time going through the Bible and you've been unpacking this and you're like, yeah, I'm gonna do this whole reading plan. This is gonna be a lot of fun. And you start reading and you're like, this is great. I love these stories. I remember this growing up. Noah's Ark. Fantastic. And then you get to like, what's the fatty lobe of the liver? What is this? And, And you start reading and you have a lot of questions. Um, Because what we are reading through and have been reading through in our plan together has been essentially an ancient Hebrew worshiping manual. This is not something that is immediately applicable to your everyday life, you may realize. Uh, You don't have to look at this book when uh, when Sunday rolls around and say, okay, what do I need to know in order to go worship God this morning? You didn't have to open Leviticus to come into church this morning, did you? No, you didn't have to. But... Um, while this book isn't immediately practical for our daily lives, it is a profoundly uh, deep book. It is, uh, it is the basis upon which our faith is built. Why? Because it is in this book that the theological logic that undergirds the entire Bible, including Jesus' death, on the cross, his blood that cleanses us from all sin, uh, his death outside of the city of Jerusalem, his burial in the tomb, his resurrection from the dead, why we believe any of that does anything to atone for our sins before God. This book gives us that answer. This book gives us the reason for that. And part of the logic for that is contained in this verse from Leviticus, chapter 17. You can follow along in the screens. It says, for the life of a creature is in the blood and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. So while initially that may seem very strange, and that song to the uninitiated about uh, Jesus' blood washing away my sins, you know how he's saying, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We say, that, that makes me dirty, right? I need to have a shower after I'm washed with someone's blood. What this is saying is that blood washes and atones for sin. It makes sense here in Leviticus. It says that the, the life of a creature is in the blood. The reason that anyone has life is in the blood, according to Leviticus. Sin leads to death. So therefore, God has made it so that the blood of a creature an innocent sufferer their life can atone for my death they're a stand-in it's the only way and it is established very early in the bible as a means for life in place of our death so when i was a kid me and my friends we would make soup in the in the yard you know so we get our Uh, we'd get our hose, garden hose out, and we'd fill that up with some hose water. And we'd find whatever we could in the yard. We'd find grass clippings, leaves, mushrooms, wood chips, whatever you could find, and we would put it in our bucket. Anyone do this when they were a kid? Yeah, okay, we got some hands going up. Absolutely. And so one day, this was fun, but one day we thought, you know, golly, we should get a little bit more creative. My dad was in the backyard, he's building a fort so that we can play in it later. We stirring up a pot of death. And here's why we were doing that. We went into the garage and we found all sorts of interesting ingredients to put in our soups. Fertilizer. Mole poison. Mouse poison gas anything we could find we just put it in the bucket and by the way kids if you're listening please do not do this please do not so as we stirred that soup it became thicker and blacker and more deadly by the second and we were proud because this was new this was interesting That is until my dad came into the garage. What are you doing? Came his cry of fear. And we had to figure out how do we get rid of the death bucket. And he's the one who ultimately came up a solution for getting rid of the death bucket me and my friends had made. In the same way, our God has set out the initial pattern and process for how his people are to get rid of their death bucket of sin and pollution. There's all sorts of ways that God prescribes in the introductory chapters of Leviticus how we get rid of our sin, of our uncleanness, of our pollution, on a regular basis. But then we get to chapter 16. Leviticus 16 is the center of Leviticus, which is the central book in the whole Torah, all five books of Moses, and it also happens to be the very central chapter in all five books of Moses. And this is not just uh, by theological emphasis. It's literally, if you were to unroll a scroll, this is in the middle. So that means that this chapter is the beating heart of the Old Covenant. This is the beating heart of the Torah. Why is that? This is why. This day, this enactment that is described here is an an enactment of God's grace and mercy in the midst of a very sinful people. It is a sort of play that echoes the storyline of many stories that have already been told and gives an answer, a response, to the problem that those stories have raised. And it also, this enactment, whispers the story, whispers the name of the one who had come after to fulfill everything that we read here. One who would not just act it out like Aaron the high priest does here, but who would actually live it and be it and do it. Who would take away actually, in reality, the whole world's bucket of sin and death. Because, as we're told in the Levit- in Hebrews, that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away or atone for sin. And the people of Israel knew this. This is a stand-in, this is a placeholder. They're waiting for someone, something greater. So starting at verse 1, we read, The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. So first, we begin reading this uh, story, this account of how to do the Day of Atonement by being reminded of something that happened in chapter 10 of Leviticus. Aaron's priestly sons, they'd been ordained. They had been in the tabernacle for seven days, and it's just incredible. We've got this a group of people of the Levites gathered to do the work of God, to be the stand-ins for the people of Israel and represent them to God and they blow it. They go into the tabernacle and it says they offer unauthorized fire before the, before the presence of God in the most holy place and fire comes out and consumes them and they die. They do this intentionally. They do this willfully and it's even alluded to they might have done it drunkenly because it says uh, later, or between chapter 10 and 16 that you shouldn't be drinking any wine when you come in to uh, do the offerings. Uh, so this is a problem. And so now Moses uh, says to Aaron, this is what God is instructing us. He's going to be a bit more explicit about the when and the how and the where a person should go into the most holy place. Not just anybody can go into the most holy place. Only the high priest. No priests, no Levites, no Israelite, no Moses. Only the high priest can go into this most holy place. This is the hot spot of God's holy presence. And not even the high priest can go in and whatever he wants. The high priest can only go in Once a year. And that only on the Day of Atonement. So we read on, verse 3. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments. So he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. Now what's going on here with how he's supposed to dress? As you read in Exodus, there's a description of how the tabernacle is to be made. There's also a description of how the priests are to be clothed, particularly the high priest. What the high priest would wear was a really beautiful garment. It was radiant. It was woven with gold. So it was heavy. Actual gold was in the fibers of this robe. He wore a crown of gold. He wore this, uh, this chest piece that had 12 ornate, beautiful stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. This was an incredible piece of clothing. But then it says, on the Day of Atonement, don't wear that. On the Day of Atonement, you're supposed to put on just some linens. They're sacred, they're set apart, but they're just linens. This is very plain. There's nothing remarkably appealing about these particular sets of clothes. Why is he supposed to put on, sort of, humble himself, in a way, to do this? So, like I said, this entire ceremony whispers the name of Jesus. What does it say in Philippians chapter 2? It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. See, the high priest was the representative of God to the people and the people to God. And he looked the part. Whenever he was doing his work in the tabernacle, he looked like a god. He looked incredible. But now it says he said, you're supposed to take that stuff off. To atone for sin, you've ta- you're taking off your glory. And you're putting on something plain. In the same way, with Jesus literally is clothed with divinity. He's God himself, but when he comes to the earth and he goes to the cross to atone for sin, there was, as the prophet Isaiah says, no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Jesus, our great high priest, enters into the holy place of God in humility. Just like the high priest does here. Reading on. Verse 5. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he's, I know you're curious. So right away, part of this description is setting us up to long for someone greater. We have an incomplete picture. Aaron, the anointed, set-apart high priest, he has to offer a bull for his own sin and for his own household. This high priest is the mediator between God and man. This guy, he's a sinner. Just like you and just like me. We need something better than that. We need a greater high priest. One who does not need to sacrifice for his own sin, but is holy enough on his own merit to stand in front of God, to step into the most holy place on his own. And we have our great high priest in the person of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Whoever said that, preach preach it. And we have this great high priest who comes into the heavenly tabernacle after his death of which the earthly tabernacle is just a copy. That's what it says, that, the, that this tabernacle, that Moses, all these things are happening in the uh, tabernacle on the earth, it's just a copy of what Moses sees in heaven. There's a heavenly reality that Jesus is entering into on our behalf, and so he comes into the heavenly tabernacle after his death, and he offers himself, the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, this Jesus was sinless. He was innocent and the only, only the blood of the sinless Son of God become man, offered for us, could ever actually forgive us for our sin. He is the ultimate high priest. Hebrews says, Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, Set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all, when he offered himself. Our needs, therefore, are met in the person and work of Jesus. And next in Leviticus it says that Aaron's to cast lots for these goats. One goes to the Lord as a sin sacrifice, and the other is called, in the NIV, the scapegoat, which is, in, which is one translation, okay? There is, a, there is a Hebrew word that it's translating called Azazel. And this has been kind of a tricky word for translators. Here's how the ESV puts it. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering... But the goat on which the lot for fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. So it sounds like Azazel is a thing or a person. Which raises the question, well, who the heck is Azazel? Scholars have bounced all around on this. Like I said, it's kind of a tough thing to translate. But the best explanation that I found was that this is essentially a name for the devil. The devil. The word at its root, some have said that it essentially means a powerful, evil, spiritual being, as own. Now, scanning down to verse 15, after Aaron atones for his own sin, it says, Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, that's for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat, and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. So this represents part one of Christ's atoning work. Here's what this is getting at. Notice that he is not making atonement for people. He's actually atoning for the tabernacle itself. He's atoning for the the altar. Now why would you have to do that? What you have to recognize is that the sin of the Israelites, of humans, is like a pollutant. Sin's not just in our own hearts. It doesn't just affect us and stay there, but it seeps out into the world around us. Think of when you throw a rock into the middle of a pool. Throw it in. Splash. And that's it, right? Wrong. Ripples come out and radiate out from the center, from the epicenter of the splash. Ripples come out. In the same way, when we sin, ripples. There's an effect around us. Think again of my death bucket. When my dad found us with this death bucket, my friends tore off down the street. They didn't want to be associated with me. And so... I was left to scramble, how do I get rid of this? And so I'm coming up with all these terrible ideas. Uh, after he has said and clarified, did you drink any of it? I said, no, I have not. And he says, good, how are we going to get rid of this? And I threw out all the ideas that I've been thinking of at to that point. We could throw it in the, in the lawn, we can't do that, it's going to kill the lawn. Okay, let's throw it into the, just put it in the sewer. Well, then the EPA is going to come knocking, because they have, they'll have a problem with that. See, if we dumped the bucket into the world around us, it would pollute everything around us. That's the nature of sin. Remember back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve's sin didn't just affect, affect them, It affected the entirety of creation. It, It polluted all of creation with them and thereby introduced death. It was this bucket that spilled its toxins into God's good world and poisoned it. But not only is Leviticus saying that our sin has polluted God's world, it says in Leviticus that our sin pollutes God's space. He wants to be in the midst of a sinful people. When that happens, even God's space can be polluted by our sin. The very venue by which we are made new and recreated and made whole, it's polluted. God and man are not reconciled. We are at odds. We are distant from each other. And so Hebrews says this, It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things, the tabernacle, the tent, everything that Moses is working in, to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things, the real, the real stuff, with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Now what Hebrews seems to be saying is that just as Aaron cleansed the copy of God's throne room on earth with blood, So also Jesus, once for all, enters into the most holy place. In reality, after his death, goes into the throne room of God and cleanses it by sprinkling it with his own blood. That's why I think what John is describing in Revelation chapter 5. It says, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne." There he is. It's right there. Jesus himself purifies our stained and poisoned relationship with God with his own blood and now he pulls us by the hand into God's own presence so that we can be God's children and embrace our true identity. That's what Jesus is doing. That's what this entire passage in Leviticus is talking about. That's just part one, though. Here's part two. Verse 20. When Aaron had finished making atonement, For the most holy place, a tent of meeting in the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. The one for Azazel, he is to lay both hands on the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sin, and put it on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness, into the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, And the man shall release it in the wilderness. Now remember, this is the goat for Azazel. This is the goat for the devil. If you think about it, this is what's going on here. All the sin and the garbage and the crud of Israel is being dumped onto this garbage vessel. This little goat. And he's being sent out into the wilderness to who's responsible. Who was responsible for this whole mess in the first place? It was the snake in the garden. So what, it's, what this is saying is all Israel is sending its sinful, garbage, stink, and pollution out to the devil as a little annual present saying, here, you can have this back. Isn't that great? Go ahead and take it. We don't like it. We don't want it anymore. So now, this is what's incredible. Instead of being sent away from God's presence, just like it was in the garden. Because remember, God's presence is in the midst of the people, in the tabernacle. That was the garden of Eden. God was in the midst of his people, but he sent them away because they brought sin and death into his world. But instead of them being sent away now, who's sent away? It's the goat. The goat has its sin, the sin and the pollution of the people sent away, and the people get to stay right where they are with God. Now bring it home to Jesus. He is the high priest. He is the sin sacrifice. He is the goat for Azazel. He is all of these things. What does it say that what what happened after he was baptized in Mark's gospel? It says that once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was with the wild animals being tempted for 40 days by Satan. Satan, Lucifer, Azazel, the devil by any other name is out in the wilderness, outside the camp, as it were. And Peter says, of Jesus, he himself bore our sins. Carried him, carried him out from the people into the wilderness. He died outside the city. Hebrews 13, and so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make his people holy through the cleansing of his own blood. Jesus has both purified the effects of your sin and your pollution and he has taken and removed from you the sin that you have carried. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your transgressions from you. That's what it says in the scriptures. That's what it says in the Psalms. Your sin has been nailed to the cross. It has been put to death it has been buried in the tomb, and Jesus has dumped it in hell once and for all as a little present for the devil. You can have this back. See everything in Leviticus, all these sacrifices and blood and the sprinkling and the goat and the laying on the hand, sending it out in the wilderness. It's all Jesus. Everything is Jesus in this, and that brings us back to the bucket. What ended up happening with this thing? So we drove from the suburbs of Grand Rapids outside the camp. We went to the toxic waste dump of Grand Rapids. That's how we had to get rid of it. And so we're driving there. The contents are sloshing the whole way. Threatening to burn a hole through the middle of, just through the hole of the car. And so my dad, he takes it out of the car, and he sets it down in front of these men who work at the place, explains what his dumb kid did, and got back in the car, and we drove home. So what are you going to do with your death bucket? We all have one. The contents of which only you know and only God knows, but the contents of which probably are filled with either guilt, shame, embarrassment, disgust, whatever it is, and it's sloshing. It's sloshing around. We carry with that with it with us everywhere we go. But guess what? You can leave it here. And you go home to your dad. I think so many of us as Christians, we believe that we have Jesus, and we can say, I gotta forgive me, but I gotta really, I gotta pull myself up by my own bootstraps, I gotta keep a, now you've atoned for all the sin I've done before I believed, and now I gotta do everything by myself now. That's not how it works. All of your sin has been laid upon Jesus. He has been crucified with it. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree and he has buried them in the tomb. They are gone and you can leave them in the tomb with him. Send them down to, down to, the, down to hell itself to the devil as a little present. And maybe you don't know Jesus today. Maybe you're like, I, I, you know, it sounds really nice. I would love to be able to just kind of lay on my garbage at the foot of the cross and just leave it here with Jesus, but I just don't know if I believe all this stuff. That's fine. But gosh, there's probably a part of you that says, I really hope that this is true. Give it a go. God, I'm not so sure if you're real, but if you are, take my garbage and make me into a new person. Because when you bring your garbage up here today, and you receive something new, you receive the the body and blood of Jesus given and shed for you, you receive, number one, forgiveness. And number two, you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who is God's personal loving presence. He is the one who can continue to fill you with his love, fill you with his strength, fill you with his joy, to continue to walk in the way that he would have you go. It's only by the Spirit that you can do this. Don't take care of your sin by yourself and try to fix your life all on your own because you can't. God can. Jesus can. Let him take it. Bring your death bucket here today because he is the one that you and the world has always ever needed. So let's pray. Dear Lord God, we, we know our own stories are filled with sin and pollution and garbage. And there's any number of things and stories and events that have caused us shame and guilt and embarrassment. But Lord, you know that you, we know that you are the one who can take it all away. You are everything in this particular chapter of Leviticus. You are Aaron, you are the goats, you are the bull, you are everything. And everything in scripture whispers your name. So Lord God, as we come to take of your body and blood this morning and receive, again, forgiveness and assurance of life. I pray that we can take whatever we're carrying on our backs and put it on you because you've taken care of it. You're the one who's capable of taking care of it. Help us to trust you to do that. And fill us with your spirit so that we can live lives of transformation, live life that is truly life. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. We hope you are challenged and encouraged to walk in truth in your everyday. Please share with friends and family, and we can't wait to have you next time on the Messiah Podcast.